It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Kohler Smart Toilets introduce a new standard of design and cleanliness, sculptural forms, intuitive technology, and total personalization with integrated warm water cleansing, heated seats, and warm air dryers. For peace of mind and convenience, there are touchless lids, seats, flush, and a self-sanitizing bidet wand. Now you can even use voice commands with Numi 2.0, featuring built-in Amazon Alexa. Explore the complete lineup at Kohler.com slash smart toilets and discover what you've been missing. Your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jake Sanderson, and you're listening to Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators Podcast. Welcome inside episode 355 of the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Pillar up in Collingwood. Gotta tell you, this episode's brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Download the Spotify Green Room app and join Pillsy and I this Saturday morning at 9 a.m. to get in on the conversation. It's interactive radio, Spotify Green Room, changing the way we talk sports. Well, talk about changing the way that we do and see the things that we love. Richard Holmes joins us on today's show as our Sen Central citizen. This guy is as passionate of an Ottawa Senators fan as you can be. The catch? Well, he lives in the United Kingdom. He's been to every NHL arena. He's seen the Sens play upwards of 65 times, and he shares his story with us today on Locked On Senators. Then we get back. To our draft rankings, we're into the 30s. Can you believe it? We've been counting down since 75, and now we're getting ever so close to the first round. You know what? I'll go out on a limb. At least one of the four players we profile today will be drafted in the first round. I'll leave it at that. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is Friday, July 9th, and Pilsy, it's officially the NHL offseason. 
Yep, unfortunately, no more games on the NHL hockey schedule. And it was one hell of a playoff. So it's going to be one hell of an offseason as well, Ross. And the offseason kicks off with everyone's favorite time of year, the buyout period. <laughs> I don't think uh, for once the Senators do not have a buyout candidate, which is refreshing. So we're not going to see anything there. But there could be some action going on this year with buyouts, especially when you're looking at the expansion draft and with the flat cap situation. Some teams could be looking to make some major adjustments i'll say at least two surprising names will be out there maybe not when you take their contract into account but guys who after they got bought out will make an impact on the team they go to on a lesser contract a la Corey perry these guys still have a lot left in the tank but they're not at the mvp level or at least elite level let's say maybe a zach parise gets bought out he was a healthy scratch at times Throughout this season, four years left on that mammoth contract that he and Ryan Suter signed at the same time. But there, there's them. There, there's a few other guys who I think could get bought out. But I what don't know. What about Jeff speculate. Skinner? No, that's the one that I'm looking really? at. That. No, well, too much left. Term but if you're and- if you're Buffalo, you can't have that guy taking up nine mil of your payroll when he's barely even a fourth line guy. He was a healthy scratch himself, Ross. But yeah, that that buyout would be insane. But we saw it in Nashville, David Poyle pulled the trigger on a Kyle Turris contract that had a lot of dollars left on it. So it's not, a, it's not crazy. Pelzi, I don't know if you could do that. He's in the third year of a contract that's paying him $9 million. If they bought him out, they would be paying him until 2032-33. And the cap hit, the first year would be 1.4. Second year would be 8.9 because there's a $7.5 million signing bonus. And then it goes down to a fairly reasonable amount. Anyways, there's a few other years that are crazy. In 2026-27, you would have a $6.4 million cap hit without playing. So I think you're more so hoping for a resurrection when it comes to Jeff Skinner. But when it comes to this buyout window, I think what we're going to see a lot of is guys with one or two years left on their deal simply for the expansion they're going to say oh we'll kick that down the road get the two-thirds amount that we'd have to pay him in full and then go from there maybe you can sneak a guy in and all that but the seattle thing definitely makes things a lot more interesting and we'll get into that more after the lists come out for the expansion and that's july 17th they have to be in and pilsy how cool is this july 18th every one of the team's protected lists will be made public Yeah, that's awesome. That's when you like the speculation day that's going to happen once those lists are made public is going to be wild because then you start saying, okay, here's the guys that can't pick. Here's the guys that can pick. What different combinations of teams could the Seattle Kraken have? It's endless. How many bruised egos will there be across the NHL of guys who think they should be protected, but they learn and it's public knowledge that they're not? There might be a couple, but, and I mean, this is easy for me to say, but I would, I wouldn't let that bruise my ego too much, right? Like, it's not like your contract is affected. And a lot of these guys, I bet if you talk to the guys in Vegas, getting selected for the expansion draft was the best thing that ever happened to them. And it's not like they're going to a crappy city. I don't know if you guys have been to Seattle. I went a couple of years ago. It's a beautiful city. Maybe it rains a little more than people like, but beautiful city. The hockey fans there are great. You're in the Pacific Northwest, great area, especially if you got some cash to spend you can probably find a pretty nice property on the coast so i think if if you're a guy that uh, is left unprotected then maybe you're a little scornful towards your team but there's better opportunities ahead possibly those opportunities are what any nhl player 
live for. So you're right on that. Don't take it as a detriment. Take it as a next opportunity to further your career. All right, Pilsy, we want to get right in to the interview. How fun was it to sit down with Richard Holmes all the way over in England and just try to sense the passion of this guy going back to his Sega Genesis. And that's how he became an Ottawa Senators fan. Truly remarkable. Yeah. It, what, what a story. Like it almost seems made up. And you know what the, the biggest takeaway I got Ross is we need to get our butts in gear. Like this guy lives in the UK and he's seen over 60 cents games. I think I've seen maybe 10, 12 total. Like I need to get going here. Wow. And I've only been to three arenas. I've only been to Toronto, Ottawa, and Buffalo. Like I got a lot of work to do to catch up to Richard. That's for sure. Well, and this podcast only six, exceeded being a single digit subscriber podcast once the pandemic hit. So we haven't even been able to be at any sense games since. So we do have work to do. Pilsy, I want to tell a fun story before we get into that though. I'm working in the summer back bartending, you know, same old, same old, trying to make some money. And it was fun. We had uh, my managers from Ottawa as well. Both went to Lisgar randomly enough. And he had his friend come in. He's like, he introduces me to him. He goes, Hey, this is uh this is Scott. He's a huge Sens fan. Bills, you know what the first thing he said to me was? Praise Alfie. Oh man, no, that was probably <laughs> third or fourth. But he said, he goes, Yeah, you know, I haven't been watching a lot, but they've just been so bad. But they'll turn it around. The one thing they gotta do, they gotta make sure to keep Bobby. They just keep him. So that was awkward. <laughs> Damn, looks like the ship has already sailed on that guy's Sens fandom. He's going to be a Red Wings fan now. I just said, man, I got bad news for you. (laughs) Bobby got bought out last year and his face looks so sad. I felt for him. I was like, yeah, Bobby was a great guy. Like, you know, maybe not worth the cap it, but you're not a cap team. You open up a spot and ultimately that right side. Who'd you rather though? Bobby or Dadnov last year. Maybe that's some, a parallel you can draw, but I just thought that was a funny moment. And, East Toronto just being like, man, I love Bob. They got to keep Bobby Ryan no matter how bad we rebuild. Yeah, and, and just like, man, Craig Anderson's going to take us back to the playoffs. <laughs> you yeah, got to trust yeah. that. No, but, hey, Patty but- Laleem's due for a playoff win. <laughs> yeah, he's going to beat the lease eventually, right? <laughs> but while, while we're on Bobby Ryan, I also wanted to mention quickly, pretty cool that uh, he was able to join Stephen Johns uh, yes. in his Mental Miles uh, rollerblades. I don't know what you call it, mar- cross-country marathon uh, Definitely a great cause, like two guys that went through a lot. Uh, Both of them actually were finalists for the Bill Masterton when Bobby Ryan uh, did win it that year. So it's a lot of similarities there, but just a cool story. Like, uh, Ross, I know you love uh, the rollerblades, the Mars blades. So maybe you got to get hop on that cross-country tour as well. Oh, I'd love to one day, but no time for that right now. We're too busy getting you guys all the best Senators content leading up to the NHL draft. More interviews to come. The countdown continues, but it's awesome to be back with our Sen Central citizens. We knew we took a few weeks off, work got busy and all that, but no excuses. We're hitting you with back-to-back, and we're right on track. We also got an unreal DM. I haven't shared it with you yet, Pilsy, but uh, next week's Sen Central citizen is going to be unbelievable as well so it was great having alex lapierre join us yesterday and today it's richard holmes what's up guys trey matthews of locked on devils here and let me tell you about discover debit cash back wings for the game boom cash back new lucky jersey boom cash back even a last minute ice run could score you some cash back when you use your debit card and yes we said debit card with discover cash back debit Everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, 
But you know what's a guaranteed win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. So without further ado, here he is this week, Send Central Citizen, it's Richard Holmes. All right, we now welcome this week's Send Central Citizen. I say this week's, but you're getting back-to-back citizens back on Locked On Senators, and we're going across the pond for this one to Doncaster in England, where we welcome Richard Holmes, the UK Senator, on Twitter. You can follow him there, UK Senator 1971. Richard, how are you today, man? Welcome to Locked On Senators. I'm very good. Good afternoon or good morning as it is to you guys. Hey, we're very excited to have you. Good morning to you as well, or good afternoon. Exactly. You must be fired up, but we'll get into the hockey, but it's coming home, man. Your, your team, England, yeah. is, is making it to the Euro Cup final. How would you compare that to following a Senator Stanley Cup run? Is it a step above? Uh, I'm just trying to think. The only, I think the only time I've ever been more nervous watching a live sporting event than last night was when I came across my only Sens playoff game which was game four against the Rangers in 2012. That was the first of the Kyle Turris overtime goals. Yep. That was edge of the seat stuff as well. But my nerves are just shot at the moment. Absolutely frazzled. Yeah. Didn't enjoy it last night one little bit because we've got <laughs> quite a history of failure in, in big games, penalty shootouts and people getting sent off and Maradona, hand of God, don't start me on that one. Um, so it's about time we got a bit of luck with a soft penalty decision. So I'm, I'm ple- pleasantly relaxed now. So you mentioned you, you're in the UK. How on earth did you become a Senators fan? Like what was the first tie that said, all right, of all these hockey teams over in North America, this is my team? I didn't pick them for any reason other than um, I didn't really know a huge amount about hockey in North America. I started off getting interested in the sport because I used to play on the Sega Mega Drive. I think it was NHL 93 nice. or 94. And I got so good at the game because it was, it was the only decent game on the console, really. I got so good, I had to play as the lowest-ranked team. Oh, no! <laughs> which, obviously, back then was the Sens, and play without a netminder because I got that good at the game. So, Yashin, Alexander Daig, Randy Cunningworth, Tom Chorsky, all those names kind of stuck with me. And then a, a couple of years later, I moved to a town called Swindon in the UK and they actually had a hockey team. Uh, I, I was in the second tier at the time. So I started going to one or two of their games and got quite interested in it. And we used to get, um, the only way you could get any kind of news, because it was this was just before the internet really started taking off. We used to get um, the uh, hockey news as a newspaper back yep. in its old format. And there used to be one or two shops in London that used to stock it. So I used to go down there because I get free travel around the UK through, through my job. So I used to go down to London, pick up every now and again this, the, uh, the hockey news, and I'd read it literally cover to cover. That was how I got into the NHL. Um, and then as to actually coming across and seeing games, that all started one night. Uh, met and mine were in, we were in the pub one night after a, a game in Swindon, actually. And we were deciding what we were going to do for a holiday that year. We were both sports fans and we were t- toying with the idea of going over to New Zealand to see the cricket. 
And then my friend Ian said to me, he said, I've always fancied going to um, see some hockey in Canada. That's if you can get the tickets, he said. Um, and I said, yeah, I'd be up for that. Anyway, a couple of days later, um, probably about a week later, an envelope comes through my front door. And I'm looking at it and it's got Ticketmaster on the front. And I'm thinking, what the hell's this? Thinking it was just like junk mail. Anyway, inside, two tickets for the Vancouver Canucks and the San Jose Sharks in Vancouver the following January. And then the day later, um, Calgary and Edmonton tickets arrived as well. And this, what actually happened is we got home from the pub that night and we'd had several to drink, shall we say, and leave it at that. That'll happen. Uh, we'd been on the internet looking at hockey dates and we'd ordered a load of tickets. So we thought, right, we better book some flights then. So that first trip was Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, two games in Buffalo, Ottawa, and Montreal. Wow. And then we did flew the home. whole cross-country trip right away. Yeah, we flew in on day one to Montreal, stopped overnight. Day two, we went over to Vancouver, and that kind of gave me an idea how big the country was because it was like eight hours from the UK, and then it's another five hours to Vancouver. Um, I didn't enjoy that flight because I had well, a massive hangover for starters, which didn't help. <laughs> But we went to the we went to the game in Vancouver, and it was um, I think the shark sorry the um, Canucks won five three, and World War uh, World War three broke out in the third period. Donald Brashear, Scott Walker, uh, a few of those types of players, and we were in the bar afterwards, and my mate looked at me and he said, "I'm not stopping till we've done all the arenas over here." <laughs> so we'd already had all the Canadian ones lined up for that trip. But we got home um, after that trip and we immediately booked another one a few months later. And we did 14 cities in 17 days on that trip. Wow. Which is just mental, just flying everywhere. When you went to Ottawa, were they still at the Civic Center or was the, were they already out in Canada? No, they were out in Canada. Okay. Um, the first Sens game I went to was actually February the 1st, 97, on that first trip. It was my mate's 40th birthday, so it's quite special for him. We got gold tickets, center ice, really, really low down off a scalper before the game. There was a Raptors game on at midday as well in the old, when they used to play in the old baseball arena. Yep. Uh, the Rogers Center. So we went to see that first, and then we went up the road, and we saw the Sens win 2-1 in Maple Leaf Gardens. Sean Van Allen and I think Sean McKechn got the goals. And there were, I can remember quite vividly, two of us going absolutely mental when the winning goal went in, or what turned out to be the winning goal went in. And we just one like minute into the third period. That's how easy we can pull it up these days. And you nailed it. Van Allen and then Sean McEachern with yeah. the winner. I can remember, I think Yashin got a 10-minute misconduct as well in that game. <laughs> he sure did. He, he was getting some jeers, I can tell you. But um, no, we're just when, I, when we stood up and we were cheering for the, what turned out to be the winning goal, we then realized how few traveling supporters there were in North America, which I understand because of the distance involved. But there were maybe half a dozen Sens jerseys in there that night. That, that, that was the first game that I saw. And then I think two nights later, we played Anaheim at home and won 5-3, I think it was. The crazy part, too, when you're looking back, Christian Willannon's dad assisted on the Leafs goal in, in that wow. game, too. Craig, Craig Willannon. Scored by Ty Domi, of all people, if I remember. Yes, you do. His sixth of the year. I mean, that must have been a lot for him at the That's time. A hell though. of a year for him. So, so this is why it just fascinates me that you became an Ottawa Senators fan. That win allowed them to be 16, 23, and 10 on the season. Yeah. 
Like that's not exactly a team that would acquire new fans from across the sea. So when, when you played with them, of course, you get an affinity. But when you were watching them, were you like, what am I thinking? I want to watch a team that can actually score goals and keep them out of their own net. Or did you know that now that you're a new fan, a new team would kind of go hand in hand? And you came at the perfect time because the next year they make the playoffs yeah. and then they go on that stretch of 19 out of 20 years where they make the playoffs. I mean, the, the football team I support over here, or soccer as you guys call it, let's just say after now 40 years of supporting them, I've not had much glory. <laughs> so I'm, kind of, I'm not one to chase <laughs> trophies and stuff like that. It was, I decided to get into the sport and I loved it. And the only thing that meant anything to me were the names that I'd picked up through the video game. And that's, that's as simple as it was. It was just that. And then that first game... My mate and I, by the time we got to Ottawa, I think two days later, because I'm pretty sure we went to Buffalo in between those two games. By the time we got to Ottawa, the first thing we did, we went in the club shop and bought a jersey. And then I don't think we took, we wore that jersey the following night, I think, in Montreal as well, or two nights later in Montreal. Um, and that's just, that's just how it was. That's all we ever considered doing was, was following the Sens. And it just grew and grew from there. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm glad uh, you did become a Sens fan. And, and good thing uh, you're not a trophy chaser. Otherwise, you might not have been around yeah. with us for too long. But I want to know, what's, what's the biggest difference between, like you said, you're your big soccer fan. So what's the biggest difference in soccer fan mindset and a hockey fan mindset? Like when you went to your very first game over in Vancouver, like you were talking about, were you blown away by the atmosphere? Did you think it was similar to soccer or was it way different? Or what's kind of the parallels there? The atmosphere I find generally in the U, well, certainly in the UK and with soccer in general, because you, you can pick it up on telly in places like Poland and Germany and that. There's a lot more singing and chanting from the from the fans, so I think there's more atmosphere at the soccer games. But that said, they're outside, so when you get twenty thousand people inside um, a hockey arena, um, for me, the the best experience I've had at a sporting event was the playoff game that I came across to. I was absolutely blown away by that really was you know 20,000 people standing up waving towels around their head and stuff like that. the noise was just deafening and the result helped as well but inside and outside and I think it's just that you don't get the chanting at hockey uh, you do you do occasionally you get the let's go or go sends go chanting or let's go Leafs or whatever it is you get all kind of that but that's all comes from whatever's flashing up on the jumbotron at the time it's kind of it's manipulated rather than natural Mm-hmm. that's kind of the way it feels to me anyway yeah we need to get that fixed because i mean ottawa did a good job especially you get the alfie chance going whenever you would hop out yeah. over the boards for a shift and there's that epic i think it was in 2007 where he comes onto the ice and there's a video on youtube where they take away the commentators and everyone's chanting alfie alfie and as they are he goes to the net and scores a goal and those are the most unbelievable moments. And I mentioned Daniel Alfredson. That would have been his second season when you came over and and got to see them play live in person. Who were the first players? Of course, Yash, and you mentioned the guys who you played the the video game with, Cunnyworth and all of them. But was there a certain player that really resonated with you and you followed through his career like, that's my guy? Until he left, Marion Hosa. Nice, yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, he was, when we first, a couple of years later, um, we came over and we did a couple of five-game homestands on consecutive years. And we were just starting to get into um, 
we were we were really really getting into into the hockey by then there were four of us that were coming across uh, and we started dabbling in hockey cards but soon realized that that really wasn't something I wanted to get too far into because it was just never ending and expensive. Mm-hmm, yep. But I, I've still got a load of Marion Hosa hockey cards, rookie cards and, and stuff like that. I've got an autograph card somewhere. So yeah, he was really the first player because he, he was touted as being the next big thing. And of course, you, I do like following players throughout their careers. I've, I've been to loads of AHL games as well because if I come across on a holiday, obviously the Sens don't play every night. In between... Sends games, there's a, there'd be an OHL game or there'd be an AHL or, or the Quebec leagues or, or whatever. So I don't come across to North America to not go to a sporting event. So having days off doesn't exist. So I've seen loads of players that have, I first saw them in the OHL. Uh, I saw Mike Fisher in the OHL, I think, for Peterborough. Awesome. That's, all, that's yeah. the best part of watching the OHL. You can follow these guys through yeah. their career. It's amazing and see and the development. You, d- you don't, you don't realise until many years later when you're looking back at these programmes and, and team sheets and stuff, you think, oh, bloody hell, I saw it. But, you know, at Peter, they didn't particularly necessarily stand out um, that much mm-hmm. um, at that level. Um, the only person I can say that did happen was Jason Spetzer. Oh, unbelievable, right? Where where was he when he, he played for almost every team in the OHL? I saw him, Everyone I saw wanted him, on, him. I saw him on two teams. He came his first year, I think, as a 16-year-old. He was at Mississauga. Yep, playing, for, playing was, for Don was, Cherry. Yeah, that was Mississauga's first year, I think. Yeah. I remember that day because we, I think Mississauga and Brampton had been expansion teams that year. And we'd done Brampton on a matinee and then Mississauga in the evening or the other way around. I can't remember which it was. And yeah, this 16-year-old kid, was there and everybody was you know watching him and focusing on him and we read about him in the hockey news and stuff like that so we paid particular attention to him uh, and I think the following season we were in Detroit we were we had a, an American football game lined up in Detroit and the Wings as well and the Detroit Vipers when they were still going in the IHL we did that and we picked up um, a Windsor Spitfires game in the OHL and normally we'd always book tickets in advance, but we never used to bother with the OHL games because you generally didn't struggle to get in. But we got there, went to the box office. This is about two hours before the start. And the woman said, it's a good job you've come when you did. She said, because it's sold out tonight, but we've got literally like one or two left. And we said, what's, you know, why is it sold out? You don't normally. He said, well, they traded for some guy called Jason Spetzer a few days ago, and it was his first home game, apparently. Wow. So saw him play for Windsor as well. Wow. And then, of yeah. course, we had the, the, the biggest one-sided trade in history, in my opinion. Easily. Yashin for uh, Spetzer and Chara. And, and Bill, Bill McCall. Bill McCall. Hey, Don't forget Bill it, yeah. McCall. No goals <laughs> yeah. in 76 games is one yeah. year in Ottawa. Yeah. Like, I can't believe the passion, Richard. That's wild. Like, you, you've probably seen more hockey games than Ross and I combined in, in one trip. So I, <laughs> I want to get to this because I feel like we buried this lead here a little. Yeah. Richard told us that uh, he has seen a game in every single NHL city, and that, that's incredible. Like, that would be incredible for someone who lives in North America, let alone someone who lives across the pond over in the UK. So tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Like, you, you said you and your buddy are at the pub, and you're saying, yeah, after that Canadian trip, we got to go to every single place. When, when did you complete all the cities like what was the last city and when did that happen I, I guess it was probably Vegas right uh Vegas or yeah Vegas I think was the last one I first came over in 97 the last visit I did before I got married was in 
2000, late 2000. And at that point, my wife and I, we started a family. So everything took a back seat for then. But at that point, there we'd, we'd done them all apart from uh, Minnesota, Columbus, Tampa, frustratingly, because when we went down to Florida, we couldn't get Tampa in as well. So that had to wait till much later on. Um, and Nashville, they were the only four at that point that we hadn't done. Then in 2000, and I sneaked across in 2004. Uh, my wife had a holiday um, and I had a holiday. So we both chose what we wanted to do. I mean, we're, we're good like that anyway. If I come over for a trip, my wife always goes and does something or treats herself to a new handbag or, or whatever, or a pair of shoes, or, you know, whatever. There's lots wants. to do in those cities for everyone. Yeah. So you could say each trip cost me double, but um, <laughs> yeah, I sneaked across for a, a trip and about 2004 and that was just a send trip because by then I got to the point of I mean I don't watch hockey generally in the UK at all very rarely I, I go to different arenas in the UK um, just to say I've been to them but I don't really follow one particular team I can sit there and watch a game but I don't follow it so 2004 I'd done that and then the next time I came across was 2010 and that was at the time where my son then was old enough and we didn't need as much childcare. So things got financially got a little bit easier. And I decided I wanted to go across and see some games. And I had in the back of my mind, I wanted to do these remaining arenas that I hadn't been to. So I decided on a trip. I had two things worked out. One was like an eight day trip to go around the last four places I hadn't been. And then I started looking at what the send schedule was. I just thought, I just want to see Sens games. Nice. And I'll, I'll wait to do those other places with the Sens. So I did um, San Jose, LA, Anaheim, and Phoenix in eight days uh, and filled in the days in between. Just so I think what I did in between. There was an American football game somewhere. There was a basketball game. And I did two, um, I think they were East Coast Hockey League at the time, Ontario Rain, just outside LA. Yeah. Did two games and I squeezed a trip into Vegas as well, just for the night. Just why not? That's awesome. Well, we're excited to see you on this side of the pond. We know you're a diehard Sens fan, though. So let's get into a little bit of off-season talk. What do they need to do? Like, what what do you think needs to happen? Obviously, they finished the year so well with ten wins after the trade deadline, yeah. second best record in the league. Would you stand pat, let these kids develop, or is it time to add a piece or two to try to push this thing along a little quicker? I think the defence needs a bit of stiffening up a bit. I think maybe someone, I mean, this is just going by what I've, I don't analyse particularly because I don't get the access to the footage and, th- and things like that that you guys have got over there because, you know, hockey in the UK is not, not the biggest sport. But yeah, I think the defence probably. Um, the rest of it, I wouldn't really tinker too much. I think they've got enough prospects coming through. And I think, you know, people like Chris Tierney maybe get, get moved on some of those contracts because they're going to need some cap space to sign everybody at some point because there, there is the risk that they they don't get good enough quick enough to take advantage of all the young players on um, entry-level contracts so I imagine that uh, Brady's going to get paid significant amounts this year and then you add in Batherson and then before then you've got Norris and, and Stutzler that are going to be coming off their entries so they've got two or three years before things get interested on the cap that's just that's just my take, but yeah, defense for definite. Yeah, I'm with you, Richard. You, they can stand pat mostly if they can add uh, the right defenseman at the right time for the right price. Then you can go for it. But otherwise, 
let's see what we got here. So you mentioned a couple of the, the younger guys and some of the RFAs. Who are some of the players on today's team that you just love watching when you get a chance to see them? Uh, I'm, in, I'm intrigued with Josh Norris because nice. I know he's getting a lot more attention of late, but he wasn't. He was a bit part, really, in the Carlson trade. Probably doesn't do him enough justice, I suppose, but everybody was focusing on uh, the draft pick and Dylan DeMello and Chris Tierney. And, you know, everybody said at the time, what a terrible trade that was. Well, I was quite happy with it because I didn't think he was worth as good a player as he was. And I saw him many times. He's fantastic at times. I don't think any player is worth that kind of money, personally. I think it's a huge amount of money. Especially with the injury concerns he had. Yeah, and I I don't blame the players. If the the owners are silly enough to offer that kind of money, then, then good on the players. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. I suppose they earn it, but I just think it's an obscene amount of money. So I, I, I didn't see how they were going to win with him because I didn't think at the time they had enough to go with him. So I was actually quite glad they traded him. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, they went more for quantity over quality. Yeah. It seemed at the time, at least. Yeah. And, you know, Brandon, we got to pour out a little something for Brandon because he lost his favorite prospect. Rudy Balsters was a part of that trade too. But unfortunate. Uh, yeah, and with, with Josh Norris, I mean, it seemed like he was just kind of an unexciting player when it came in the trade. Yeah. He's like a mid-first-round pick. He's like okay at everything but not great at a specific skill. But that changed this year, man. He's a two-way guy. He can skate a lot better than I thought as well. He can get up and down the ice. And with their defensive responsibility he had to take on, how much did that impress you? Going up against Matthews one night, McDavid the next night, Elias Pettersson the third night, or Bo Horvat. And he did fantastic. So do you think he can be the first-line center when this team's competing? Or will Stutzla either turn to center? I think that's probably a pipe dream at this point. Or yeah. are they going to have to add eventually somebody to play ahead of Nora? So do you think he can be that guy? Personally, I think you give him this season to prove he can be that guy. I think yeah. there's no doubt he can do the second-line center's role. For sure. Um, if he carries on. And just the, you look at the way the Sens started last season. Um, some of the games were just brutal. Um, let's just say I didn't stop up more than once till 3am to watch a game in Vancouver or Edmonton. I soon Smart, them a wide smart man. Um, For a while there, so, I think yeah. the stat was, I think Ian Mendez brought it up that they had won like one of their first 15 games outside yeah. of the Eastern time zone. And you're like, oh man, we got to stay up late for that? Yeah. No, I, I didn't bother doing that. Not after the first game. Um, no, I think with, um, with Josh... I think given this seat that there's no rush. I don't think anybody expects us to win, to win it all next year. Well, that's just unreasonable. Yeah, I think we'd like to be at the end of the season. We ought to be looking at the playoffs, hoping to get in. Um, I think we give him next season to prove that he can be that number one centre. That there's no, there are bigger concerns for me. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen in, in net as well. I'm not sure what's going to happen with Matt Murray. I wonder whether they might expose him to uh, to Seattle. Yeah, we're, I think that's the most interesting part of the expansion draft is uh, from the goalies end. And you know we're a, we're a goalie-friendly show, so I'll have my last question in the crease here. Who do you think will be the goalie for the Sens when they finally have playoff, playoff success? Like, Do you think it is going to be Matt Murray's going to figure it out? Or do you think by the time his contract's out, one of these younger guys is going to overtake him? Uh, how many more years has he got? Is it four more years? He's three, got, I think, right? Three more three. now. Yeah. That was his first year of a four-year contract at 6.25 a season. I mean, I'm interested to see, I suppose a lot of it depends what happens with Seattle because if Seattle take a goalie, it's going to be 
if they protect Murray, and I'll understand the reasons why they do that, then they're going to take Decord or Gustafsson. And I think both of those guys have shown a lot of promise, especially Gustafsson, because he was quite unremarkable in the AHL, really. Oh, we yeah. saw it firsthand. We were both, uh, Brandon and I worked in the video production team, and there were a lot of nights where the first two shots, one of them was going in no matter what. And yeah. Joey, he just brings so much confidence and swagger to the crease. That's why I'm on Team Joey, and I'm taking a lot of heat for it on social media, but I'd protect Joey Decord. I know that I'm in the minority there, but I just think he has that it factor to his game. I, I think I, I'd, I'd protect one or the other. Not sure which, to yeah. be quite honest. I don't really know enough about but it. You, but you wouldn't more. pay Seattle to take a specific player? We saw how that went with Vegas. No, because I think I don't think the other GMs would want to end up with another Vegas style yep. situation where they've got uh, draft picks stocked up, stocked up or did have. Um, or Shea Theodore. <laughs> like that to me is the most egregious one. They, oh, yeah. man. It's so yeah, mad. lose one instead of two type thing. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you're you going to lose one. I think they're going to leave um, Tierney unprotected, obviously. And I think Dadanoff, I think they're trying dangle that and those two contracts and I think they might uh, expose Murray I like that well we're very sure. close to finding out it's going to be in the next two and a half weeks we'll know what yep. Seattle has yeah. as a Turn franchise unbelievable and then the NHL draft soon after so my final question and you mentioned it briefly in that last answer how do you stay up for these games I mean they're starting at what 1 a.m your time uh east, games on the east coast are midnight Okay. So did you get a little nap in after work and you're all set? Uh, nope. No? Nope. Ne- never done it. I mean, I've, I've got so used over the years to um, – I can remember we flew into Washington. Four of us flew into Washington one night, first game of the trip, landed at, uh, at Dulles mid-afternoon, picked up the hire car straight to the arena. Halfway through the first period, two of the four in the party were fast asleep. Because the five-hour time difference, it's gone midnight. And I'm just like, why have you flown across the Atlantic to come on a hockey trip and you're nodding off halfway through the first period? Yeah. And I've, I've never, ever, ever struggled with staying awake at a hockey game. No matter how tired I am, I'm so focused on what's going on on the ice that I don't struggle. And it's the same being awake at midnight, one o'clock. I just don't find it a problem. I'm, I'm watching the game. I'm concentrating on it. I don't feel the tiredness. As soon as the game finishes, that's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm dead. Um, it can be a bit of a struggle the following day at work. Yeah, yeah, I can Only see Only after that. a loss, though. <laughs> yeah, but, but put it this way. When, when I was I – mean, I've been working from home for the last 18 months, but when I'm in the office, the people in the office, they generally know if I walk in and I've got bags <laughs> under my eyes and I'm yawning, um, they know that I've been watching the game the night before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I, wait, I, I have one more quick one before we let you go, yeah. Richard. What does everyone back home think when you tell them and they know that you're such a hockey fanatic? Are they just like, what are you doing? Like, soccer soccer was on. You could have watched that game or there was a cricket or a rugby game. Like, what are you doing staying up till midnight watching North American ice hockey? Like, what what is it that you tell them or or convince them that, no, this is worth it to stay up and watch it. I love this game. I try and tell them that, um, the game, the TV doesn't do the game justice. Uh, you have to go to a game to fully appreciate it because you're watching it on TV and you can't watch the puck because you're watching the cameraman who's watching the puck. So it's not the easiest thing. You've got to try and 
second guess where the puck is going. And the more you know the game, the more you're able to sort of follow that. To, to somebody else who's just watching it for the first time on telly, they're like, what the hell's going on? They just don't, can't understand it. Um, so I, I try and tell people to actually go to a game to, to properly get it, to properly understand it. And I said, don't take, don't be, don't be sold by, you've got to sit next to the plexiglass because that's where all the action happens. I said, you sit next to the plexi. Yeah, you might get a really good view of what's happening in front of you, but as soon as the puck's down the other end, you might as well forget about it until it comes back up again. Yep. So I always tell people to sit reasonably high up, center ice if you can, to watch the whole of the play and to watch the plays develop and you get a much better perspective of the game because that's where you'll, you'll usually find me. I love that you, that you mentioned that. My final, final question was going to be, where do you recommend sitting? Because you've been in all these arenas. I always say last row in the 100s or first row in the 300s are the best vantage point. Or yeah. if there's a goalie that I really want to watch, I'll sit behind the net. But even that's pretty rare. You got to be up a little higher and, and watch. I know my mom brings her binoculars to the game sometimes to get a real good look. But Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to learn yeah. your story and, and having you on the show. Everyone, I encourage you to go follow him on Twitter. As well, you can find him at UK Senator 1971. Richard, we're going to do this again. There's no question. You're going to be our UK correspondent for Ottawa Senators Excellent. hockey. So, thank you so much for joining us. Be well, and we'll do it again soon. Okay, thank you, guys. Stick taps to Richard for joining us. Make sure you go follow him on Twitter. Criminally underfollowed at UK Senator 19. 19- 71. Pilsy, let's power up before we get back to our draft ranking. So grab a built bar. Why wouldn't you? The protein bar that's built like a candy bar. It's really remarkable when you think about how many flavors they've been able to master the recipe of and to make them all feel like you're having a cheat snack, but really you're powering up after your big workout. Whenever I go for a long bike ride down the waterfront, I'm always coming back and reaching into my mix box of Built Bar because they're soft and easy to chew. They're 100% covered in chocolate and I'm losing and or maintaining weight. It's perfect. No worries about the high calorie count. It's not there. They're low calorie, low sugar, and high in protein and high in fiber. Pillsy will even dive a bit deeper into his pick of the day. Yeah, Ross, and especially if you're looking for, maybe you've had some Built Bars and you're not quite able to finish them. They're just packed with so much protein. You're like, oh man, I'm going to save this for later. Well, if a Built Bar is a little too much for you, you got to try Built Bites. These are nice little bite-sized Built Bars. You know, at uh, Halloween when uh, back in the day when you're trick-or-treating and you get those snack-sized candy bars, well, Built Bars doing the same thing here. I think you guys are going to love the Built Bites They're only 70 calories. You got eight grams of protein packed in there. Pretty much all the flavors that you love for Built Bars are available in Built Bites. So my suggestion to you guys, get a bunch of Built Bites, put them all over, put them them in your work bag, put them in your golf bag so that when you're ready to get a little protein going, you've got a little bite there for you. So that's my pick of the day today. Today, guys, try Built Bites. Go see all the amazing products available at BuiltBar.com and use our promo code LOCKED15. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order. What's up, guys? Trey Matthews of Locked on Devils here. And let me tell you about Discover Debit Cash Back. Wings for the game? Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey? 
boom, cash back. Even a last minute ice run could score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's a guaranteed win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. All right, Pilsy, back to our draft rankings. We're into the 30s, and oh, we've come a long way. So all the way since 75, we've been doing four prospects for each and every show. If you want to see the entire list, we've been tweeting them out each and every day on the same thread. It's pinned to our profile at Send Central. Impossible to miss. We also put up a poll after each and every day. They're week-long polls, so you can still go have your say from the last three. Who would you most like the Sens to draft of those four? Now, how did we figure out these rankings? If you're just joining us, here's a quick overview. We've taken the rankings from eight of our most trusted sources. I'll run through them really quickly. Corey Pronman and Scott Wheeler from The Athletic, Bob McKenzie and Craig Button from TSN. We had Tony Ferrari from Dauber Prospects. Scouching, Will Scouch drops by and Elite Prospects Draft Guide and McKean's ranking as well. So we've taken eight different scouts found the average and coming in at number 39 with a ranking of 45.3 on average from Moto in the Allsvenskan. It's William Stronggren, a left winger. Yep, this guy's got some size, Ross, six foot three, 176 pounds. He really got a taste of uh, everything that the Swedish leagues have to offer, though. He played in a bunch of leagues last season. He had 27 games in the Allsvenskan League where he had only nine points, so that doesn't jump out at you, but in the J20 National League, he had 18 points in 14 games. So that's a little uh, that's a little nicer numbers for him there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's against still a few years older than him because just to continue on your path, he also played one game against his actual age group. It was in the under 18 league with Moto again, one game, three points. Safe to say he's outgrown that. Still with 10 goals in 14 games at the next level, you're like, okay, well, he played the majority of his season with the Allsvenskan Moto Hockey, only three goals and nine points. But as we've said before, when you're playing pro hockey overseas, one, the opportunity's not usually there. You're on the third or fourth line, maybe spot duty on the second power play unit. But you're also playing against grown men, which we don't see these junior kids playing against in North America. So I like to look back a little bit, and at every level, he has absolutely dominated his own age group. He has the size, skill, and the fact that he hasn't grown into that size makes you think, what could his potential be? And I mentioned off the top of the show, one of these four guys is going to go in the first round. I think that Stromgren has the best chance to be that guy based off of the raw tools in his game. And knowing that he's a project, he's going to go back, he's going to play in the Swedish Hockey League next year, and what can he do with that opportunity? I think he's going to seize it. You saw the work that he put in at the world under 18s as well, where he was a point per game player, five, almost a point per game player, five points in seven games with Sweden there. And when the stage gets bigger, I believe that his play will elevate going forward. He's a dynamic player. That's for sure. Ross, like silky smooth mitts on this kid. Like he, he's able to go at defenders 
he lets them make a move and then he reacts and then he just slips right through them. Like that's, that's his bread and butter is he's just waiting for you to do something so that he can attack your weak point and get by you. But the problem is he relies on that too often. And in those, those lower leagues, you can do that. Like you could probably make a couple younger, smaller, less reactive defensemen look silly with some nice deeks. And you can probably string together a couple of those. But then you start getting up against bigger guys with longer sticks, better gap control, and you're not going to be able to pull that off. And these are the kind of guys, Ross, you know, that just drive me crazy. Like you're you're stick handling in a phone booth when you have an entire sheet of ice to play with. And he typically he just always defers to stick handling, never chips it off the board, never makes a, a big pass, never just dump and chase. None of that always stick handling. And it works for him now, but is it going to work for him later? So that's my main concern is, is he going to be able to have that coached out over development or is he going to keep relying on that? And he's going to see some struggles coming forward here. For a guy who's six foot three, you might expect him to play a bit more physical than Stromgren does. He's very much a skill player. He can beat you on the outside. He has this backhand to forehand move where he just cuts the middle and he has a quick release that helps him beat goalies clean. But I want to read this quote from Scott Wheeler. He says, I don't think he's ever going to be the primary driver on an NHL line. And that kept him out of a first round ranking for him. He has him at 42, but He's got a chance to be a complimentary score, and I've been impressed by his ability to find teammates through layers as a passer. So this guy seems like if he's in the right situation, could be a 50-point guy in the NHL, and if he's in the wrong situation, might not even hit 20. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing with him. I think we're really going to see his true colors when he's playing in the SHL. Like, I think, yeah, well, even it, he might need some more time in the Allspinskin League because he didn't uh, exactly light it up there. Maybe, like you said, he wasn't getting the opportunities. So maybe with some more opportunities in the Allspinskin League, it'll be a little more accurate of what he can do. But for me, I gave Stromgren three stars. I, I, I don't love players like this, the guys that uh, focus too much on stick handling and like, I want to see him use his size a little more. Like I want to see, like, is he just going to be a Logan Brown type guy who has this great size, but just is not able to use it at all. And it becomes more of a detriment than it is an advantage. That's my main concerns there. So if, if he's available for the Sens, which I don't think he will be at 39, especially not 42, then I would probably pass on him personally. I have three stars as well. Um, there, there are things that I like about his game, but it doesn't like get me out of my seat excited. And th- they, they're going to have to reach on skill somewhere. This might be a situation where if he's there at 39, sure, pull the trigger. I won't have a problem with it. No, I wouldn't trade up from there to get him. I, I don't think that he's the type of guy that warrants that sort of asset management. But I also see a team like maybe Colorado or a team that already has great talents, like, fitting him in and saying, Oh, I see him penciled in with a guy like Tyson Yost or a guy who's also creative, but maybe has a little bit more edge to their game and see what they can do in given that situation. Like imagine him across from Landis Scott guy who can go in and forecheck. check. Like to me, he needs a guy who's going to go in and separate body from puck and then find him. And then he can either decide to rip one or find another seam play and get his teammates involved. So I have him at three. Although, how about this quote from Elite Prospects? His decision-making problems are from untamed ambition rather than a lack of awareness. So I like the verbiage on that. Just saying, like, he's doing too much, but it's not because he's he's dumb. It's because he's literally 
trying to make the most exciting play possible. So I applaud that effort, but I also think that it's not really in the style of the Ottawa Senators drafting. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, I, I can definitely recognize that he has the skill to make those sort of plays, but he just decides, all right, there's a couple cameras on me. I know there's a scout in uh, the 200 section over there, so I'll just dipsy-doodle through three of these guys and then just go for a quick change. And that, I don't know, that that type of uh, mentality really really doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, he he's good, but can he improve his consistency? That's another question that he'll have to answer going into the draft. He's from... I'm about to butcher this so bad. I can already hear, hear our Send Central citizen Alex <laughs> Linskog getting on me. But Orenskoldkvist in Sweden, which is the same hometown. It's where Moto is. It's the same hometown as Peter Forsberg, Marcus Naslin, the Sedins, and Victor Hedman. So there's something in the water there for sure. And, well, Stromgren might be the next great from that town. Here's how everyone ranked him. McKean's at 35. Scouching at 31. McKenzie at 38. Wheeler at 42, Ferrari at 42, Elite Prospect had him at 50, and Corey Pronman, shocker, the outlier with 79. So he comes in at number 39 overall as we move to number 38 with an average ranking of 45. It's a right shot defenseman, but Pilsy, are we going to hold a grudge on him? He decommitted from the University of North Dakota. He could have been a Nodak Sen. But instead, he's joining the reigning NCAA champions at UMass. Yeah, a little bit of salt in the wound, not going to lie, that uh, he decommitted from NODAC and uh, is now going to UMass. So th- that's definitely something that concerns two guys like me and you who are big NODAC supporters. <laughs> but man, I don't know, Ross, I could get over that kind of thing pretty quickly when you start looking at the type of player Scott Morrow is. Let's start it off. Six foot two, 192 pounds, right shot defenseman. Like that's the perfect size, right? Like that's that's a good size defenseman without being like, holy crap, he's so big. Is he going to be able to skate? Or he's so small, he's just going to get destroyed out there and can't uh, box out guys in front of the net. Like he, that's the sweet spot is six foot two, about 200 pounds, right shot defenseman. And this guy's been at Shattuck St. Mary prep school for a long time, Ross. Like he's, he, he was there for rumor a while. has it. He played with Sidney Crosby there in Oh <laughs> three. <laughs> yeah. At the, at the age of one year old, but uh, also I was doing a little bit of research, Ross, that uh, the prep school route is not cheap. You're looking at $56,000 a year. We'll get to Chaz Lucius, but his parents Ooh. founded a school that he ended up going to. But we'll we'll, we'll save that for when uh, when we get down there. Because with Scott Morrow, you're right. There, The skill is absolutely there. And I'm glad you mentioned Shattuck St. Mary's because his head coach there, Ben Umhofer, said, there's no doubt in my mind he's a first-round talent. I've coached Jackson Lacombe. I've coached Cam York, who, by the way, went one pick ahead of Cole Caulfield in the 2019 draft. Two of my favorite players. And from a talent perspective, Scott has more talent than both of those guys. The thing that's always kind of held Scott back was his skating. His agility and mobility have always been exceptional, but his power he's worked extremely hard at. Credit to Scott Wheeler's article in The Athletic or his countdown for that quote. And what I love most about that quote is, He's determination to fix the issue in his game. So if this guy can add power to his stride, you mentioned he's got a 6'2 frame. I don't see any reason why he makes it out of the first round. 
Yeah, it, he's he's right in that range for sure. And let's go over some of his stats. Like I said, he's been at Chaddock St. Mary's Prep for quite a while. He's been in the 18U Prep League for three seasons, and it's clear he didn't need to be there this last season. Like, he just dominated. When he was 16, he was already at a point-per-game ba- pace. Last season, he got 48 points in 30 games. Like, just there's nothing left for him there, but COVID obviously uh, played a part in him staying there and he wanted to stay close to his family, all that kind of stuff. But he did get to go to the USHL for six playoff games, which is kind of weird hopping into a new league, a new team just for the playoffs, no points in six games in a, in an upper level competition. So that's interesting, but you also got to look at small sample size and you're switching cities, you're switching teammates and you're hopping in for playoffs. So I don't take too much going into that, but what, what he does well on the ice is he can move the puck so well. Like he Wheeler describes, he transports the puck. He plays in the offensive zone and has good stick handling skills. Like that's the kind of right shot defenseman that we could definitely use in this system because not a lot of the righties have a lot of puck handling skills in the Ottawa Senators system. And he, he's just able to manipulate guys and fake them one way and then go the other way. And it just, it looks really impressive. But at the same time, you're looking at a guy who's been in the high school league for three seasons now. So obviously you're going to hope that he's going to dominate there. We're going to see a really interesting progression for him at UMass next season. Let's start with a quote from the elite prospects draft guy, because as you mentioned, he's been in prep school forever. There's no way around it. This is the quote from elite prospects. Scott Morrow is one of the trickiest projections in this draft class. He was beyond prep school last year, but returned for another year. And while he often flipped the switch and dominated just like he should, major questions went unanswered. And then contrast that with Tony Ferrari, who ranked him 19th overall, the highest of any of the rankings for Scott Morrow. He says, if Morrow hits his ceiling, there's a chance he could be among the best defensemen in this draft. His combination of mobility, cerebral mindset, and puck skill could result in a special player down the line. But then you contrast that again with Corey Prodman, who's got the guy ranked 93rd. Like, what? I, Come I, I, don't, on. <laughs> I don't get Corey Prodman's rankings at all. When we 93rd? Put, when we put him next to the other rank, it just makes absolutely no sense. He says he has below average hockey sense and below average compete, but everywhere else lauds those parts of his game. So, you know what? We got to get Pronman on the show. Know. He's got so, he's got a lot of answering to do cuz yeah, and look, he I'm I'm not saying he's wrong, but when you're at a point where we're talking about this guy being possibly the best defenseman, one of the best defensemen in the draft and you've got him in the 90s, that is, I thought you were going to say somewhere in the 60s and I was going to be amazed it was that low. But the 90s, that is absolutely crazy. All right, we have to read it. We have to read it. He said, it's been tough to get a read on him due to the caliber of opponent. That's fair. Wait, but he says he's 6'2", highly skilled. But then he says below average hockey sense. He says he can skate with NHL players. His skating is average. Okay, anyway. His skating has progressed over time into a strength showing the ability to lead the attack and walk the line. Very confident with the puck and attacks with his skill. He can make plays, but he overcomplicates the game and makes some questionable decisions. Defensively, he's just okay. He can be a bit soft on his checks and lack physicality. In a sentence, Morrow has some NHL qualities that give him a chance, but has to add elements to his game to allow him to play. That's a pretty far cry from Tony, who said that he could be one of the best defensemen in the draft. Yeah, that's interesting. But like EP says, he's so tricky to project because 
This is a kid who should should already have a USHL season under his belt and should be heading to college, which he is. But instead, he played an entire season his third year in the prep league, right? So, so I can get some of the qualms there, but in the nineties, just is that seems silly. I it's, don't know. it's it seems a bit egregious to me, especially when we rattle off the other rankings. Scouting has him at twenty three. I mentioned Tony at nineteen. Those are the two high marks. Scott Wheeler at 33, McKenzie at 36, Elite Prospects at 52, and McKean's at 59. And then, of course, Corey went just way off the board. But all that averages out to 45, and that's why Scott Morrow is 38th on our draft rankings. Before we move on, Pilsy, we got to get your send stars. How much do you want them to draft Morrow? Well, I, it's going to be interesting. We'll see if Pierre Dorian takes a little offense to the whole Nodak thing as well. And maybe so, he- Hey, let's settle that. Let's settle that. It was between him and Brent Johnson, and they asked Morrow to defer one year, probably saying, hey, you've been in prep school. Like, why don't you go play yeah. one year in the USHL where Brent Johnson had already made an impact? So they asked him to defer a year, and he said, no, nah, I'm just going to go to UMass. And credit to him. They just won the national t- championship. So it's not like he's going to a bad program. Yeah, definitely. And I don't blame him for doing that, right? Like you got to do what you think is right. And if you're, if a team's saying, Hey, we want you to defer and play in the USHL season. And you're like, nah, I think I'm ready to play in college. I'll go somewhere else. That's fine. That's within your rights. You know, you got to do what you think is best for yourself. So I'm not going to knock him too much there, but I, I really see the upside. Like I I'm definitely not on Corey's side of this ranking. That's for damn sure. Like if, if the Sens were able to draft him as their first defenseman with pick 39 or 42, I would be so happy with that. So I gave him four out of five stars here. Oh, we're not defer- we're not uh, too different today. I'm going four stars as well with Scott Morrow. Okay, now we move up to 37. We're staying on defense, but we're going back to a left shot. We've done so many left shot defense in this draft and coming in at 37 with an average rank of 41.3. Daniil Cheka, a very polarizing figure in this draft. He had been playing in the OHL with Guelph. Went back to the KHL this year as the OHL, of course, did not get underway. And by all accounts, it was a complete disaster. Yeah, I think it was, this was probably a move that was done out of necessity, not out of, uh, you know, it's a good time for him to make that transition. I think another year in the OHL really would have done him good, but the, the case with the OHL is what it is. So he goes back home to Russia. He played in three leagues there, the VHL, the MHL, and ultimately the KHL. So it's good that he was able to have that progression. But in 11 KHL games, he only had two points. A lot of scouts saying that he just wasn't up to snuff to be there. Like he, he was a big name. He's a big player. Uh, a lot of uh, hype around this guy. So he was able to get there. But once he was there, it really seemed like he didn't belong. There's there's not a lot of parts of Cheka's game that I love Ross. And I think that was kind of what most scouts agreed to as well. Like the biggest part of his game is his size. He's got the reach at six foot three. He's got a long stick. So his gap control is great. He's able to really take up a lot of surface area when a team's trying to break into the zone. He can break up the plays effectively with his stick. He's able to use his big frame to box out guys in front of the net, but Then you look at his offensive tools and like in 2019, 2020, he had 34 points in 56 games with the Guelph Storm. So he does have offensive tools, but he just, he doesn't have any creativity, Ross. Like he just kind of like, he gets the puck and head down, shoots it at the net. If there's someone in front of him, oh, well, 
too bad. Didn't work out that time. And he, he doesn't do anything to try to shake those defenders and get into an open lane. So that's where I was really frustrated with Daniil Sheka. Yeah, he had an awful World Juniors, as did most of Team Russia, but absolutely nothing on the score sheet. Dash two there. And, I mean, the offense, that's not really what you're looking at in, in the men's league. And as you already pointed out, he did put up numbers in Guelph. So he's tough for me to really understand. This is a guy who came over and played – Toronto Junior Canadians, one of the best minor hockey organizations in the entire country. So he's been getting acclimated to the North American game since he was 14 years old. And ah, there's just nothing that excites me in this about this player. This is the first guy, I think, on the entire draft rankings where if the Sens took him where he's going to go, which would be late first, early second, that 39 around there, I would legitimately be upset with the pick. I think it's a, a bad pick. For the Senators to go with a left shot defenseman that has way too many question marks in their game. I gave him one star. Like if, if you're, he's going to enamor a scout just because he's six, three and can skate really well and makes a good first pass, but he's not physical. He's not really like, he's not a dynamic offensive player. He just, there's too many holes in his game for, for, I think the sense to take him. So I, yeah, I got one star and I would not be happy if the Sens would take him. Yeah, I give him two stars because I do see some some skill there. And he's obviously a guy who has some pedigree, but I don't think he's he's the right guy for the Sens. And the thing is, like when you rely on your size that much and that's pretty much the only part of your game, what happens when you're in the NHL or even AHL and being six foot three isn't really that crazy? Like you're still a big guy, but there's a lot of people that are between six foot two, six feet and six foot four, you know, so like a lot of guys in those range. So you're not going to be able to have an advantage over those guys anymore. So I really see him as a high floor, low ceiling type player. And I think the Sens could avoid him here because I I can see a contending team that has a shallow prospect pool, really jumping on this guy to try to beef things up on the back end for their prospects. So the Sens can definitely pass on him. Yeah, one of the oldest players in the draft, uh, October 22nd birthday. How many stars, Pills? Two. Two stars for Pillsy for number 37, Daniil Cheka, who comes in with an average ranking of 41.3 based off of Bob McKenzie at 19, Craig Button at 21. That shows you what the NHL community thinks about him. But look at these other ones. Other than Pronman at 25, shocker, he's the odd man <laughs> out. Then we got Wheeler at 49, Ferrari at 49, Scouching at 46, McKean's at 44, and the Elite Prospects Draft Guide at 77. So that's Daniil Chaka. We go now to our final ranking of the day at 36, coming in with an average of 41.1, a left winger from Omaha in the USHL. It's Ayrton Martino. He's a Toronto kid, played for the St. Michael's Buzzers Junior A, and absolutely torched that league 141 points in 97 games but credit to him he stuck with his guns didn't go to the ohl wants to go to college and that's why he'll be heading to clarkson university the alma mater of one mark borvietsky so clarkson university is getting a beauty in martino and this guy is just skill personified yeah, like you said, like this guy just puts up points and he he went from the OJHL to the USHL last season and he still put up points at a massive clip. 
56 points in 38 games in Omaha, like you said. So he definitely is not out of place and he's able to position himself to really make a lot of offense happen. Like Will Scouch praises his ability to get into high danger areas and he doesn't waste a shot if it's a low percentage chance, which I love. Like I love guys that understand they have the hockey IQ to be like, all right, I've got a little bit of a lane here, but it's probably going to be a low percentage shot. The goal is probably going to stop this. If I move around, I can create space. Maybe one of my teammates get open. I make a high danger pass and boom, we got a good scoring opportunity rather than just making that simple play. It's having the awareness to know you can hold on and, and create something a little more effective. Now EP, not a fan of his skating stride, but they're willing to admit that he's still able to join the rush, which is, I'm glad they can see that, that yes, maybe it, it doesn't look exactly how they want, but it's still effective and it doesn't stop him from joining the play. And I think my favorite part about Martino Ross is he's a give and go guy. Like as soon as he gets the puck, he's scanning and he's moving it. He's yeah. not like Stromgren who gets the puck and is like, all right, how now many what? of these, how many of these guys can I deke through? I don't care if I got a guy open or a trailing guy I can drop the puck to. If there's a defenseman, I can make look silly here. Whereas Martino's like, nah, I'm dropping it back to that guy because he's got the open lane to break into the ozone. Like he's the kind of player, the hockey IQ that it's going to make up for a lot of his other skills that are just average. Yeah, right now he's still smaller side, 5'11", 160, but you don't go to Clarkson for one year. This guy's a project, but a project with very high upside. He's one of the older kids in the draft, though we should mention that. Missed last year's by two weeks. Now, you mentioned give and go, so nobody has Alex Formanton's speed, but do you see a little bit of that give and go game where when Formanton gets the puck, it's off his stick right away, and I think that's going to be an important part in getting him to the next level. The good news, though, is when he goes to Clarkson, he's going to be a top six guy there as a freshman. So it's a great opportunity because he's, an, as Tony Ferrari points out, an all-out offensive player with underwhelming defensive efforts at times. So you look at that and you think, okay, if I can harness that potential, we really could have something here. So I think that the fact that his path is taking him on a longer journey is going to allow him to slip in the draft versus if we were just drafting players based off of skill this guy's a for sure first rounder i don't know though he might be a guy that slips through the cracks and could be available mid to late in the second round yeah i actually think that's what's going to happen ross is he's, he's going to fall here because he doesn't have that one quality that makes him uh, just jump out at the page for you and the thing is like I'm really excited to see how he ends up playing because like Tony said, like this guy is all about offense. Like he's cheating on offense big time. I watched some highlights of him. He's the guy that's way too high on the half wall when the play is in your own end. And as soon as one of your teammates get the puck, he's already gone to center ice. And then it's like, oh crap, we didn't get out of the zone. Better curl back around now. And then it's essentially a five on four in your own end. So there are some difficult things there, but if he can figure out how to kind of hold back offensively and chip in defensively a little bit more I think this guy's going to be a catalyst of a team's offense because he's able to get that puck moving so well and he's able to keep controlling it in the ozone so this is a guy that I like for the sense and I gave him four out of five stars if they can get him at pick 39 or 42 I would love for him to be the first winger that they draft I think it'd be good to have him at 42 just with 39 maybe taking a guy who's fallen and you think maybe doesn't last those other two picks and yeah then at 42 you could grab him I'm a four star so you and I see this uh, quadrant of uh, of players I think very similarly Um, you had a player comparable that I found interesting though who do you think he could develop into a type. 
Yeah, to, so I don't do player comparables often, but this one jumped out at the page in me. I, he really looks like Tyler Ennis at the start of his career, right? Like a guy that Tyler Ennis, he had a little more speed. I think that's definitely something you can say. But Martino, when once he gets the top speed, like this, he can skate for sure. It's just getting there takes a couple extra strides. Yeah, and that's the and thing. that could, sorry to interrupt. That could come with the power that he adds over time because at 160 pounds, you're not getting the same push into the ice. Yeah, you're not getting the same momentum, but that's the thing. Yeah, he doesn't have the straightaway speed that Ennis had, but he's he's got the hockey smarts and the drive to s- stick with that rush. And similar size guys, they both put up points. They both, like, I wouldn't say Tyler Ennis has an amazing wrist shot or he's like an incredible vision passer, but he's just so good at making quick, smart plays up and down the ice. We saw that when he played here in Ottawa, even, that uh, he was able to do that. Now he definitely regressed in Edmonton, but it's those kind of players that just have a good sense of the game that are like, like, all right, I don't have to do everything here. I can work with my team in a unit, give and go that puck quickly. And t- together, the three of us can get the puck where we want it to be. So I-, I definitely like Martino a lot here. And I think he could be a fun guy to follow along with as a prospect. I agree. Well, guess who the outlier is for the rankings? Oh, boy. So let me read you the others first. Tony Ferrari has him at 18. Says he could be the most Whoa. underrated player in the draft. I think that's a little high. Scouting has him at 29, though. So the analytics agree. Scott Wheeler at 31. McKenzie at 47. EP Draft Guide at 48. McKean's at 40. That all sounds like in the same realm, right? Promen has him at 75. Yeah, I don't. We, we got to talk to him because and he I'm won't not, answer my emails. Yeah, not to bash him. We just we need to see what. What is going on that he's so different? And almost every prospect, like how many prospects have we seen that where he's in the same range as the other guys? Not many. It's crazy. Absolutely none. So yeah, hey, that's the beauty of this. We're having eight different guys and they all have their say. And this time it averages out Ayrton Martino to number 36 on our rankings with an average of 41.1. All right, Pilsy, great weekend ahead. We've got Spotify Green Room tomorrow morning. Foise's going to bring the trivia. We already know that. And we're going to have a great conversation. We want it to be interactive. We want you to be in the room and a part of it. Not just there listening, a fly on the wall. We want you to bring your hottest takes about the Ottawa Senators and the NHL draft. It's two weeks today, Pilsy. We're two weeks away from the NHL draft. I'll be up in Collingwood. I'll have a great time there. Um, yeah, so I guess we'll chat tomorrow. That was a really fun show. And guys, go follow Richard Holmes. Like 50 followers, are you kidding me? This guy is an absolute beauty. So it was great having him on. I feel like it's our first Brit on the show. And it's not going to be our last because at UK Sens is a complete beauty as well. There's got to be more out there. I feel like the Sens have a bit of a following in the UK. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's hilarious that's happened. But yeah, definitely give uh, Richard Holmes a follow because chances are he's going to be in a city near you within the next <laughs> year or two. So you can meet up for him for a quick pint or seven. Hope everyone has a great weekend. And I cannot wait until we're having beers in the CTC parking lot together. But for today, we say goodbye. We'll be back on Monday with Locked On Center, Spotify Green Room tomorrow. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.